Hello, everybody. Welcome to Macro Money. This is Ilya Spivak, head of global macro here at Tasty Live. Welcome to the show. We got a big one for you today. Uh, the week's ending here with a bang. We have the upcoming U.S. jobs report in our crosshairs. So shock of shocks, we had to go over it here on the show. Um, it is uh, a monthly macro uh, bonanza here. It's a very market-moving indicator, and certainly February was a great case in point. So what we're going to look at here is what's likely, what are the levers through which it might impact the financial markets, and uh, what scenarios could come out for specific asset classes uh, like stocks, like the dollar, like gold, uh, for what could be the consequences of what ultimately hits the tape. So let's go through it and first get a sense for how it's going to work and how it might uh, be perceived, the lens th through which the markets might be looking at it. So we begin with a chart which, um, if you've been watching um, this show, you are uh, increasingly familiar with. This is the um, Citigroup Economic Surprise Index. It tracks how U.S. economic data performs relative to forecasts. And needless to say, the story of last month was that the index improved significantly. That big jump that you see right at that February 2023 dotted line, that big surge higher, that would be last month's NFP report. And clearly, you can see it very pointedly set a stage. So notice that the index is going higher through about um, the middle of last year into the fourth quarter. In the fourth quarter, it starts to veer lower. Recall also that it is in that fourth quarter that we had the rally in equities. We had the rally in, in all manner of riskier assets. And then at the beginning of February, when this index started to go higher, catalyzed by that NFP report first and foremost, we get the very different uh, thing. We get risk off. We get dollar higher. We get gold falling. So this is where we see the quintessential question that has really bedeviled markets since the middle of 2021 come into very sharp relief. So economic data starts getting better. The markets had been baking in a certain amount of Fed tightening by that point. The expectation was that we would likely get a peak in inflation that was already in, and that inflation would continue to move lower. And so, and that's evidenced by the economic data going into February, rolling over and rolling down. And the sense that the Fed had done enough, that it contained the economy, that it started to push the economy uh, to a slower setting for growth, that this was starting to drive inflation down and would continue to and allow the Fed to end the tightening cycle somewhere by the middle of this year at a rate of uh, 475 
to 5%. The Fed sets uh, policy rates in a range. Uh, so there's a 25 basis point uh, spread there between the top and the bottom of the range. Uh, and so uh, looking at it uh, through this period, it looked like 475 to 5 would be give or take the peak. When February happens and the data starts getting explosively better, the natural question that investors ask themselves, reasonably enough, is will the amount of tightening already baked in give us inflation at 2% within the Fed's outlook window? Or does the Fed now need to do more in the face of this more uh, more uh, robust economy. We got our answer. The markets told us what that answer was. There was a lot of speculation about this economist said this or that economist said that. Tons and tons of hours of, um, of conversation uh, on this all around the uh, financial media. But the markets answered this question. And they answered it simply by looking at break-even rates. So uh, just a quick review. The break-even rate is the market's own, the bond market's own inflation expectation. It moves with yields in real time. And what it tells you is this is the inflation adjustment that it takes to get from nominal yields to real yields. So when you look at the yield on an inflation-adjusted bond, a TIPS bond, somehow you need to get from nominal rates to those real yields that are inflation-adjusted. When you subtract one from the other, the magnitude of that inflation adjustment is what you're left with. So this is the bond market basically saying our working assumption on inflation within two years' time from any given day is this. You can very clearly see that over the course of January and February, we shifted significantly higher. February and March, of course, March so far, um, is really the, the prime time for this. We are now north of 3%. That last big yellow bar that you see here is the current month. The one right before it of almost equal size is February. And so what you're seeing here is inflation expectations saying, no, it's not enough tightening. We need more. And so, not surprisingly, the markets respond accordingly. Because as you can see here, these expectations tend to lead realized CPI, realized PCE inflation metrics actual economic data by about two months. And this is because markets are inherently forward-looking and also because it takes time to collect this data, to publish the reports. So they're always published with some lag. The CPI number that we're going to get next week won't be the one for uh, March, obviously. It's a month that's ongoing. It'll be looking backwards to February. And so there's inherently some lag here. What you'll see then, looking at this, is a very clear story. The data is better. 
we don't think, looking at the bond market, that the amount of tightening that was baked in is going to get us to a 2% inflation target, clearly. So what is the response going to be from the Fed? Well, about as straightforward as it can be. More rate hikes. And so what we've seen then over the course of February and going into today is then an upshift in the, in the implied rates curve. The big dotted line there is uh, since the last FOMC meeting, which helpfully was on the 1st of February, so it also doubles as being the beginning of this shift at the start of February, uh, the little dotted line is a week ago. So before this week's uh, very telltale testimony from Fed Chair Jerome Powell, who articulated this exact idea. And of course, the markets fell out of bed when they heard it. So what we see then is a shift higher in this curve because of what's happened in the data and in the response to it from the markets, as well as the articulation of those changes and confirmation of what those changes are likely to mean for Fed policy from the Fed chair himself. Notice what we're looking at now is a peak rate of 5.7 within about six, a six-month window. That essentially gives us September. So here we are, we're at the beginning of March, add six months. That's about September. And this has moved uh, a bit. It, it was a peak somewhere between July and September. Um, it may yet be that if things accelerate. Uh, and so with this in mind, we look at what actual policy meetings this aligns to. But before we do that, just consider that as of maybe a month ago, a little bit more, let's call it mid-January, there was a significant uh, question as to whether we would get to 5% at all, and very little question that we were going to stay above 5% by the end of this year. We are now looking at rates north of five and a quarter, a year from now. And as you can see, the curve keeps moving out. It keeps moving higher. Here is the breakdown for what is currently expected. So we now see that there is a greater than even chance of a 50 basis point hike at the March meeting. You can see we've baked in 168 percent here uh, in the percent hike cut column. That's 100 percent of a ARM move. You can see ARM there. That's the average rate move of 0.25 percent or 25 basis points. So we've fully baked in one of those and baked in about 68 percent of another one. And so you can see the implied rate delta, the next column over, is 42 basis uh, points. So a bit shy of 50, but quite a bit more than 25. We then look for what's going to happen in May. And now the markets see that we are certainly going to have another rate hike then and about a 37% 
uh, chance for a 50 basis point move. But between what's going to happen this month and next month, we are fully baked in for 76 basis points in rate hikes, which means that what we're looking at is a 50 basis point hike somewhere there, or maybe a 75 basis point hike at one of those meetings. So the upshot is that either in March or in May, we're going to get a 50. That's essentially what the market is telling us here. Now, of course, this might change, but that's where we are currently. That one of them will be a 25, one of them will be a 50, or one of them will be a 75 and the other none. As we continue to move forward here, we can see the peak in rates appears to be somewhere around July, September, as it has been for about a month now. And you can see the peak there, 5.6. In other words, we end up in the 5.5 to 5.75 target range for uh, the Fed. So we will have raised rates by a full percentage point relative to right now by then. And there's still a bit of a creep lower into the end of the year where you can see come January, we are back in that five and a quarter to five and a half uh, range. So the market's still flirting with this idea that we're going to have a cut at year's end or perhaps at the very beginning of next year. So that's where we are. July, September about the place where the peak still is. Now, of course, you can see here, there is no rate decision in August. Um, there is Jackson Hole in August, which is its own, um, its own can of worms, which we'll talk about another day. But you can clearly see how this evolution in July and September rate hike odds has impacted financial markets. So the lines you see at the top there, the red and uh, the blue, those are the odds uh, for rate hikes. Those are the implied rates that we might see. You can see there, they're right in between the 550 to 575 marks on this chart here. If, if you look at the left axis, that's the rates axis. The right axis is for the S&P 500, which we're using here as a stand-in for overall market mood, right? These are... Um, companies uh, in this index, a very big, broad index that are multinationals, that do business everywhere. And so the outlook for their earnings, which is what the S&P 500 encapsulates, uh, is a function of global growth, global consumption, uh, and generally global economic um, health, as it were. And so what you see here then is very clear. As you get rate hike odds for July and September moving higher with this adjustment that we're, that, that we're uh, talking about here, you get into a situation where risk comes off. And you can see through the period where these bets were steady, that October through uh, January uh, period that we looked at as the area for U.S. economic data where it was veering sideways to lower, that's the first chart that we saw uh, in our session here today. As that is occurring, stocks are rising. 
that, that that's the yellow bars on the bottom there, the S&P 500, and the kind of uh, darker dotted line there is just a five-day moving average to give you a sense of overall direction, to kind of smooth things out a bit. So you can see here, you have risk on through the period where Fed rate hikes no longer are accelerating, or Fed rate hike odds, I should say. When they are catalyzed higher, stocks go lower. That shouldn't be a controversial thing. Of course, that's going to be the case. Rising borrowing costs increase the cost of doing business, fundamentally. They increase the cost of money. They increase the cost of financing virtually any kind of economic activity you could think of, from the household level to the uh, multinational corporation level. And so if the cost of doing business is going to be higher, then attaining earnings is going to be costlier. And if attaining earnings is going to be costlier, well, then stocks go down. So this is precisely what we've seen here. Now, here is what we're expecting for the jobs report immediately in front of us. We had that explosive February number, 517, that was much higher than expected. The one that we're looking for this time around is 225. And this is going to vary a little bit depending on who your data aggregator is, but the latest forecast seems to be 225. The expectation for the jobless rate is that we're going to stay at 3.4, which is uh, a multi-decade low. But at least the pace of job creation from 517 to 225 is seen heading lower. The other major component here is wage inflation. This is the bit that the Fed is so intimately worried about. This is what keeps Jay Powell and company up at night that essentially we are going to have stickier inflation for a longer period of time because while you can fix supply chains and readjust them for COVID uh, legacy issues and reduce goods inflation from supply disruption, and then you remove uh, lockdown restrictions and you uh, get rid of some of the um, weirdness that you had on goods inflation from the demand side, that is much more difficult to do because wages don't adjust down. Typically, the only way a wage can adjust down is if that labor is laid off and the general level of wages is down. And the expectation here is, in fact, that the buoyant economy in February is going to give us higher wage inflation that what we're going to end up with is a rise uh, to 4.7 on average hourly earnings. You can see here that those filter with about a three-month lag into CPI and PCE. And so if there is a rise in average hourly earnings, the expectation would be overall inflation will see that lift, again, with a bit of a lag, and that over time, that would be something that feeds into a Fed that needs to do more. Now, of course, we already have some of that baked in uh, with the moves in the break-even rates that we've seen uh, and that we talked about at uh, the top of the show here, but this would be confirmation. 
This would be coming from hard economic data, not just uh, the feel of bond markets. And so that would be something that would encourage a more hawkish narrative were it to transpire. On the job creation front, there seems to be quite a bit of room for a surprise on the upside, much like we saw uh, in in February. And uh, of course, earlier today, the um, or earlier this week, rather, the uh, ADP report, which tends to lead official non-farm payrolls figures. ADP is a big um, payrolls processor, so they have visibility uh, into more people coming on to payrolls, leading payrolls. Um, and they released their number. It came in hotter than uh, expected. And uh, as Chris Vecchio, head of uh, futures at Forex here uh, at Tasty Live, has uh, very astutely pointed out, ADP has tended to underperform relative to NFP over the past six months or so. It is a bit of an inconsistent indicator, though, so I've not uh, um, I've not looked at it here. Um, it can go uh, a little bit um, off the beaten path as relative to NFP. But the thing that jumped out at me was, in particular, the ISM services survey that was released last week. This is, of course, tracking the biggest employer in the U.S. economy. About 75% of the U.S. economy is the service sector. Manufacturing is then uh, just under a quarter, and um, obviously what we're looking at is non-farm payrolls. So uh, the relevant picture here doesn't include farming and ag. So when we look at this, we see that breaking down the components of the index, you can see the index registering at 55.1, which was a little bit, um, a little bit uh, better. Uh, than anticipated, and you get the same kind of PMI logic at work here uh, as we've talked about before. When numbers are above 50, that means growth. When numbers are under 50, that means contraction. And above 50 distance is an indication of speed. So the further you go above 50, the faster the growth. And the same thing on the other side. The, the lower you go under 50, the faster the contraction. This is a diffusion index. Uh, and so what you're seeing then, in particular with the employment component here, which is what I want to stress, is a sharp acceleration in employment growth being envisioned. Does this necessarily mean that NFP is going to beat by magnitude X versus magnitude Y? No. Um, there's, of course, vast differences in data collection, norms, in the people being surveyed for the um, labor department's numbers versus uh, the Institute of Supply Management's numbers, but they do rhyme generally. And so what you're seeing here is a brisk pickup, a move to 54 on the employment sub-index here, saying that hiring looks robust and appears to be accelerating in the largest employer of Americans, sector-wise. So there seems to be a meaningful risk that NFP is going to surprise topside. And of course, we know what that looks like at this point as far as market 
reaction. So this is February and uh, the initial start of March here. And you can see that the consequence of all of this, better economic data, rising Fed rate high odds, has been a stronger dollar by about 4%, a weaker stock market by about 5 to 6%, weaker gold by about 4 to 5%. And what we might expect going into this announcement is if NFP does shoot higher, ultimately, than what is being expected, this might be what you would expect. And so therein is the risk. Uh, I would say an added risk uh, that we found just today in markets might be that the market is, is starting to worry about slowing economic growth. Um, today was a day when stocks were down. Uh, the dollar was a bit soggy, but gold was up um, on this idea that maybe we're starting to see the consequences of the Fed's tightening emerge in um, some, wob uh, some wobbles uh, around financial stability. And uh, we'll talk about that in, in greater detail. Um, another time, uh, perhaps next week, if the narrative continues. But this would be the kind of thing that would make stocks vulnerable if NFP were to miss and register weaker. But that has not been the path of least resistance. The path of least re resistance here appears to be in the direction of more robust economic data of continued surprise on the upside and in the direction of the market seeing that as bad news. So what is good for economic data might well be bad for markets going uh, forward here, at least through this NFP release. And in that kind of environment, with a lead of positive economic data and a lead of uh, higher frequency data suggesting that an upside surprise is in the cards, more of this kind of reaction that you see on your screen here appears likely. With that in mind, this has been Macro Money for today, the last show for this week. We're here Monday through Thursday every single week, right after overtime with Chris uh, Vecchio, the head of Futures and Forex here at Tasty Live. Uh, I will also uh, be here to unpack what happens with uh, payrolls uh, on Futures Power Hour, uh, also with Chris. That'll be tomorrow. Uh, and back with Tom and Tony for first call on Sunday evening. Uh, outside of those shows, if you want to follow my various um, thoughts on markets, those are uh, out there via Twitter, at Ilya Spivak. Good luck out there, everybody. Godspeed. The content of this podcast is created, produced, and provided solely by Tasty Life Inc. and does not represent the direct views or opinions of any of its affiliated companies. This content is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not, nor is it intended to be trading or investment advice or a recommendation that any security, futures contract, digital asset, other product, transaction, or investment strategy is suitable for any person. Trading securities, futures products, and digital assets involve risk and may result in a loss greater than the original amount invested.
Tasty Live Inc., through its content, financial programming, or otherwise, does not provide investment or financial advice or make investment recommendations. The information provided may not be appropriate for all investors and is provided without respect to individual investor financial sophistication, financial situation, investing time horizon, or risk tolerance. Tasty Live Inc. is not a licensed financial advisor, registered investment advisor, or registered broker-dealer.